May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. We say or think if quite a bit. If I read all the assignments and turn in all the homework, then I have a better chance of doing well on the first quarter test. If I drive too fast too often, then it's likely that I'm eventually going to get a speeding ticket. But if I work hard at my job, I might get a promotion and a raise. If I practice my violin or French horn or trumpet, maybe Mrs. Bars will ask me to play along with the hymns on Reformation Sunday. If I get the oil changed with a semi-synthetic blend on my Honda Accord at least every 5,000 miles, I might get up to 300K with it. But it can be an iffy proposition when certain things aren't certain. Should should I invest in mutual funds or a fixed-term annuity? It's iffy. Do I go on statin meds or do I work harder at my diet and exercise? It's iffy. Will Red Wing 74 live up to the post-draft hype in the Crown of Life Fantasy Football League? It's iffy, Don. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant minds and hearts to hear law and gospel in God's word today, his word about an iffy proposition. People God dearly loves. All three of today's appointed scriptures include iffy statements. The prophet Ezekiel is appointed a watchman. He must speak out Yahweh's word and only Yahweh's word. If he does not, and the wicked one keeps on sinning, the Lord will demand the prophet's blood. But if he does, if he speaks law to the wicked one who does not hear or heed, then the blood of the sinner is on that man. And today, we hear the apostle Paul speak some necessary words to the church in Rome, words that Christians today must also hear and heed. Romans 13 tells us this, the civil authorities are put in place by God. They are his servants. They bear his sword, the sword by his will. Then there's this caution. If you do wrong, you should be afraid of the authority's wrath. And also this simple but surprising truth. If you have love for others, you have fulfilled the law. But it's really today's gospel reading, which is filled with iffy propositions. But these statements are not speculations. These are the way of the kingdom of God, because these are the words of our Lord. You can't see it on the back of the worship guide or in a whack of the worship folder or inside the worship guide, but if you look at Matthew 18 in a Bible you may have at home, a red letter Bible, beginning with and said at the start of verse 3, everything will be in bright red. Jesus is speaking, and his disciples then and now need to listen. Now I'll admit this. The first stated if is in verse 8, but I think that it's possible, even helpful, to see also as this gospel begins, this reading begins, as a series of iffy propositions. 
When Jesus takes the child and places him in the middle of the 12, he's really showing and saying, if, if you become like little children, then you'll enter the kingdom. And if you humble yourself like a child, you will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verses 5 and 6 are also about children. It's one of the reasons we sang Children of the Heavenly Father just a couple of minutes ago. It's about little ones who can and do believe in Jesus. If you receive a little child in my name, you're receiving me, our Lord states. But if you cause one of these little ones to sin, your transgression, your sin, means you deserve to be drowned, to be carried to the bottom of the sea with a grain-grinding stone hung around your neck. The true and challenging words continues. Jesus says, temptations to sin will come. But don't be the one who brings temptations to others. In fact, if, and here that simple and strong word shows up for the first time, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, then cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Because it's better to go through this life and enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot or one eye than to perish with both hands and both feet and both eyes. Then Jesus brings a little parable into this teaching of his disciples and once more, not just the 12, but all of us. And this kingdom story, which is a little bit odd, tells us how valuable the microns, the little ones in faith are. If a man has 100 sheep, but discovers that one, just one of them is missing, won't he leave the 99 others of the flock on the mountainside and go search for the one which is strayed? And if he finds that sheep after his fervent search, won't the shepherd have greater joy over that single lost and found sheep than over all the rest who stayed in the pasture munching on the green grass? Then comes verse 14, with no if in these words. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one, even one of these little ones should perish. After, and because of that wonderful truth, that great good news, Jesus continues instructing the church to live out our new identity because, you see, all of us, we are the microns. We are the little ones. Verse 15 begins, if your brother sins, if your brother in the faith sins, then you must go to him, not to be his judge, but to be reconciled. If he listens to you, if he confesses to you that he has indeed sinned against you by what he said or did, and you respond with clear and the clear and sweet word of forgiveness, you've gained your brother. By God's grace and goodness, your relationship has been restored. But if 
your brother does not listen to you, and because you fervently want to give him the gift of forgiveness, then take along two or three other believers to listen to both of you. And I realize that Jesus doesn't repeat all of what we said in the first step, but the great desire is not to prove that you're right and that he's wrong, but to gain your brother. If that doesn't work, then, once more, because you want to share God's gift of forgiveness, you must tell it to the church. Why? So that your brothers and sisters in Christ can pray for and encourage confession and forgiveness. Then, and only then, and sadly then, if your brother refuses to listen to the caring voice of the church, then he must be set outside of the fellowship, the community of Christ, until, until, with no ifs or excuses, your brother, our brother, your sister, our sister, repents and hears sweet and sure forgiveness. And a runaway sheep, one runaway sheep, is brought back to the flock. Our gospel reading closes with a certain word from our Lord Jesus. If and when you cannot speak forgiveness, because there is no repentance, what is bound on earth remains bound in heaven. But if and when you speak forgiveness, because there is a repentant heart, then what is set free, what is loosed on earth, is loosed, is set free in heaven. Jesus closes his teaching by speaking two promises. These stand to strengthen all that our Lord has taught in Matthew 18. First, if two believers agree here on earth about something which matters in the kingdom, you can trust that the Father in heaven will make it so. And second, and I'll put an if in verse 20, if two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, confessing and proclaiming his name, then you can be sure, we can be sure, that Christ is there with them, that Christ is with us. Now I'm going to turn my sermon title around. God's mercy and grace are not an iffy proposition. There is nothing uncertain. There is no possibly this, possibly that. You are not loved only if and when you do good things. You are loved. I am loved in spite of all that we do. In settings one and two of the divine service from our hymnal, our order of confession quotes 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Indeed, verse 10 says we call God a liar. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just, God whose character is faithfulness and justice, will forgive all our sins because of the cross of our Savior, because of his suffering in our place. His hands were not cut off 
but had spikes driven through them. His feet as well as he suffered in our place, as he made the once for all sacrifice. If you wonder if you are loved, look at the cross. If you wonder if you are forgiven, look at the cross. But there's more. In 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and foolish. It has an expiration date. It's only good until the day you die. But the apostle continues, Christ has indeed been raised from the grave. It's not iffy at all. We rejoice to be the little ones who believe in Jesus. We rejoice to be sought after and found sheep. We rejoice in God's complete forgiveness, and we rejoice that Jesus has conquered both death and the grave in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.